Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Today's reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 10 to 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Hey church, good morning and welcome to Sunday. Thank you for joining us online on YouTube this morning, and I am so thankful for the opportunity to share the word with you this morning as we're continuing our series called Unshakable. And it's all about unshakable faith and what does it mean to have unshakable faith. And this morning we're going to look at obedience and how it adds to having faith that is unshakable. Obedience is a bit of a dirty word in society nowadays. Just even saying the word be obedient or obedience just kind of makes me personally not want to be obedient. And when I was growing up, uh, I had a family that did not like to be obedient all of the time. Uh, Nothing too crazy, nothing unlawful, but definitely we didn't like to conform to some of the social norms in society. One thing my dad would regularly do is he would uh, create car parks where car parks weren't created or weren't established. So if the car park was full but it looked like there was a good spot over there that didn't have any lines, well, we would find a spot and squeeze right in there. Or another thing that we would do is we would go to the grocery store and we would maybe grab like a box of something and, um, sorry dad, my dad would start to eat from that box before paying for the food. We paid for the food at the end, but he didn't really obey those social norms or rules and we would start to eat the food before we actually paid for it. Another thing was mowing the lawn. We had a really large lawn and we also shared a portion of our lawn with our neighbor. And if my dad didn't like it when the neighbor was mowing the lawn in a way that he shouldn't have mowed the lawn or if he hadn't mowed the lawn in a very long time, 
we would sometimes mow a bit farther past the barrier just to make the whole lawn look a whole lot better. You see, these are a bunch of silly examples of what it means to not really obey when it comes to social norms, and we can kind of laugh at these things. But what does it mean to be obedient or to be obey when the cost is quite high, when things are costly, when it's actually quite difficult to obey? And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at obedience when it's difficult. And the passage of scripture that was read this morning by Mark, thank you very much, Mark, was out of Acts chapter 9, 10 through 19, and it's a story of Saul's half part two conversion. So let me give you some background here. The early church had started after the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus had ascended to the Father, and then the Holy Spirit came, and the apostles and disciples and many others began to proclaim that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. This was a beautiful thing that was happening all around. People were coming to know who Jesus was. However, the religious leaders at the time were not really happy about this because they thought that the Christians were a heretical Jewish sect that needed to be stopped at all costs. And nobody wanted to see this thing stopped more than Saul, a.k.a. the soon-to-be, at some point, Apostle Paul. He wanted the Jewish Christian sect to be completely done away with. So what did he do? He would go door to door with, I imagine, a bunch of tough people and pull out Christians, persecute them, throw them in jail, and even have some of them put to death. And this was an incredibly toxic time around Jerusalem and around that area in Israel because everybody knew who Saul was and everybody knew that Saul meant business and he wanted to snuff out the Christians in Jerusalem. So the story continues in the book of Acts where Saul is on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians and what ends up happening is that Jesus himself blinds him with light, he falls off his horse, and Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting this movement? And Saul was blind, but he knew that this must be the Lord, this must be this resurrected Jesus who these Christians are proclaiming about. So what did he do? He did what Jesus told him to do, which was go to Damascus and wait in a particular house for something to happen. That something was Ananias coming to Paul and helping him be able to see and to baptize him and lay hands on him. This was the thing that Saul was going to wait for. However, this was a massive ask. What happened was in a vision, Ananias was called by Jesus to go to Saul, who was a known persecutor of the church. This would be an incredibly difficult thing to do. This is somebody who has been persecuting the church for a few years now, and now Jesus is asking this one believer to be obedient and to go to Saul to lay hands on him and to baptize him. So this begs the question, why did Ananias actually go and do this? Why did he go to Saul? Well, this is an incredibly difficult thing to do, and I'm trying to think of an illustration to help compare um, this, to help us understand what is exactly going on in Ananias' mind right now. So think of the contemporary example of Afghanistan, and we all know what's happening in the news. We all know that the Taliban have come in and they've overtaken the government, and now they are the governing body. And we know that there's a bunch of Christians in Afghanistan who reportedly understand that they will be soon persecuted by the Taliban because they're Christians, because they believe in Jesus and the resurrection. And they're actually very fearful right now. So imagine if Jesus, in a vision, 
went to one of the Afghani Christians and said, I want you to go to the door of someone in the Taliban who is going to persecute you, and I want you to lay hands on them and to baptize them. Can you imagine what this Christian would be feeling right now? How scared this Christian would be? So why did Ananias, in maybe comparable circumstances, actually do this? Ananias obeyed because of who was asking. Simply put, Ananias obeyed because it was Jesus who was asking him. This authority figure was asking him to do something. Lord of Lords, King of Kings was asking him point blank, this is it, so Ananias did it. If we're completely honest, our obedience is actually conditional. There's some terms to our obedience. We're not just gonna be obedient to anybody. We're not gonna necessarily listen to anybody. It depends on the type of person who asks us to do something. So imagine you have a boss and your boss tells you to do something. Well, you ought to probably do what your boss tells you to do unless it's maybe unethical or unlawful. But imagine if a peer or somebody who you were in charge of in a workplace environment told you to do something with some authority and maybe some tone in their voice that made it seem like you ought to do this. Well, maybe you would think twice before actually doing what they want you to do because they're not in charge of you directly. See, our obedience is conditional. Also, imagine if somebody is telling you to eat better, to exercise more, and to spend less money because it's good to save money, but this person is doing the exact opposite of all the things they're telling you to do. You would be less inclined to obey somebody who is inconsistent or contradicts himself as well. You see, we all have conditions on our obedience, and it depends who's asking us to do something, whether we're going to do that thing or not. You see, the condition for Ananias was clear. If Jesus is asking me to do something, I'm going to do it no matter what. No matter what the cost, I'm going to do it. This was Ananias' perspective. However, there was still a little bit of pushback, and we'll get to that soon. You see, Ananias had a clear vision from God that he ought to go to Saul's house. And he knew that this was Jesus who was talking to him, not just some impression or some idea that popped into his head. And a lot of the times we need some reassurance when it comes to obeying God as well. And there's some broad categories of reassurance that were given in scripture, where there's things in scripture that tell us we ought to do this and we ought to do that because Jesus wants to do this or that or the other thing. And that should be enough for us to want to do what God wants us to do. But there's also moments in our life where we might have an impression or a sense or a feeling that God really wants me to do this. And as long as it aligns with scripture, then we probably ought to do it. Or maybe there's some uh, leadership figure in the church or somebody that you respect who is a mentor to you, who asks you to do something or encourages you to do something. And if it aligns with scripture, then we ought to do that as well. There's different authorities within our life that tell us what we ought to do. And we ought to listen to these different authorities. But I can assure you, if Jesus is telling us to do something, then we ought to follow in Ananias' example and do it. In the book of Job, we have a glimpse of what it looks like for somebody who is righteous and completely obedient to God to actually suffer. And in the book of Job, we see Job with his three friends for a long period of time, many chapters, asking and wondering, what is happening? What is going on? Why is all this suffering? And why are all these bad things happening to Job? And it's basically 20 to 30 chapters of just straight up complaining. And what happens is at the end of the book, God comes in and talks to Job. And he doesn't reason with Job, really. He doesn't say, well, all these things happen to you because of this, this, and this. And that's why it's all logical and reasonable. What God does is he just shows up in his majesty. He shows Job 
the complexity of the world, the complexity of the universe, who he is, and all he asks in return of Job is obedience, just simply because of who God is. And for some of us this morning, we might need to hear that hard word that sometimes our obedience is conditional and it might even be conditional to God himself. But the truth is God is God and we aren't. We would like God to conform to our wants and desires and wishes, but to be completely honest, if that were the case, then God wouldn't be God. He would just be someone else that we created in our own image. Instead, what God wants from us is he wants obedience. He wants loving obedience towards him first and foremost because of who he is. He's the God of the universe. He's the king on the throne and we're not. The second reason why Ananias obeyed God was because of what could happen. Ananias was told after he was a little bit hesitant to obey that this person, Saul, soon to be Paul, was going to be a missionary to the Gentiles. He was going to proclaim the name of Jesus to this Gentile world, non-Jewish world, and that something significant was going to happen in this one act of obedience. You see, Ananias' obedience was quickly not isolated between him and Saul and Jesus. His obedience was compounded. His obedience actually went out and was multiplied. There are multiple blessings that resulted in this one person being obedient to the call of God in their lives. And this is the thing, when we are asked to do something to be difficult or uneasy or something hard that God's asking us to do. This obedience is not just necessarily between me and God. There's actual impact in the world over obeying what God wants you to do. And this obedience does not need to be big and flashy like going to a foreign country and doing some crazy things for Jesus. This obedience can be really just the small things in life. Maybe it's talking to someone you know you ought to talk to or encouraging someone or even just reading your Bible and praying consistently. That level of obedience. You see, these small levels of obedience and also the big levels of obedience, they do not just stay with you. They have a massive impact in the people you associate with and what you're being asked to do in the world. God wants to actually change what's happening in the world and he wants to use you and me to help accomplish his mission on earth. What we do know is that Paul, who was Saul, I know I'm using names back and forth, Paul later went on three massive missionary journeys up through Syria, modern day Turkey, around to Greece, over to Rome, through some islands in the Mediterranean Sea, back to Jerusalem and did that a few times. And he started and established different churches that have had an immeasurable impact all over the world. And this would not have happened if it wasn't for this small, rather potentially insignificant figure of Ananias going over to a persecutor of the church, Paul, laying hands on him, praying and having him baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. If it wasn't for that small act of obedience, all that Paul had done through Jesus would not have happened. Now, as I'm talking this morning, I'm sure you're thinking of maybe small or even big ways that God is asking you to obey. And I'm sure I haven't even needed to prompt you. The Holy Spirit's prompting you right now, and I'm sure of that. And what I would like you to do is, as I'm gonna finish the sermon in the next five minutes, to take out a piece of paper or pencil or your phone, which you might be on right now, and write down what is God asking me to do. It might be something easy and something simple, or it might be something difficult and challenging or costly. But I would just like you to write it down and just pray about it and bring it to God 
in prayer, maybe over the next day or two or a week, and just ask God to give you the strength to obey what he is asking you to do. So there's a third aspect to obedience that is not necessarily in the story, but is certainly true. And that obeying God is not suffering, it's actually joy. The happiest and the most joyful you will probably ever be is when you are aligned with the will of God in your life. If you have lived long enough as a Christian and have actually responded in obedience to Jesus in many different ways of your life, you know this to be true. You know the joy that you experience, that you feel, that you sense after you do what God wants you to do is just amazing. This obedience does not give you salvation or purchase you anything or unbalance or balance the scales a little bit because everything that Jesus has done on the cross and through his resurrection is a pure gift he's just given to you. But all he wants is for you to say, thy will be done, not my will be done. And obedience is so amazing once we step into it, the joy that we experience. I remember quite a few years ago, um, I'm thinking probably around 2012, I was at a soup kitchen in Halifax just helping and serving and serving the homeless or those in need who just needed a meal. And about the halfway point while I was serving, I noticed somebody across the room and I had this impression just thrown into my head, you need to go over there and you need to say, can I pray for you? And you need to encourage that person. And I, to be completely honest, I was very hesitant to do this. I was not, a, I was still a young Christian. I think I was about eight, 19 years old or so. And that seemed like a very scary thing for me to do because I didn't know this person. I didn't know how they would, re, how they would receive uh, me going over to them and saying something encouraging and praying for them. Uh, I hadn't really done that really at all, spontaneously like that, and I pushed it off for quite a long time during the evening. And near the end of the evening, that person had gotten up and started walking towards the exit, and I heard in my head, I, I heard, this is your last chance, it's either now or never. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna go for it. So I walked over to the exit with this person, I just went up to them and said, I know this might be weird, but God is telling me just to encourage you and to let him know that he loves you and that he's there with you even if you're going through something really difficult. Can I pray for you? And then I prayed for the person in that moment. And afterwards they said, yeah, you know, I'm going through some really difficult stuff and I really needed that right now. Thank you so much. And I was so overjoyed. I was so pumped. I felt like I had been blessed way more than me actually blessing this person because I had actually stepped in and walked in obedience in what some would consider a really small way. Not insignificant, but in a small manner. And I just would like to encourage you that even as God is asking you to do things that might be challenging or difficult to you, that the joy on the other side, not only maybe for the person, but also for yourself, is immeasurable and is amazing. There is no better place to be than in the will of God for your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your call on each of our lives. Thank you that you are continually asking us to do difficult things, to do things that maybe make us an easy to stretch our faith and to help our faith be unshakable. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with each and every one of us throughout this week as we're at our homes and with our families, that there might be some difficulties showing up here and there, but we know that you're with us and we know that you love us. And we just ask that you would continue to call us to yourself, call us to do your will, and call us to be the church in Auckland. 
name we pray.